Well, can I just say thanks for always being flexible with us, especially this past year and a half. That's required a lot of flexibility from all of us. Uh, but just one quick side note before I start that one of the great ways you can love your church is by praying for your pastoral staff. And Jeff's actually on vacation this week. And one of the things we as a church can be doing this week is be praying for him, that he'd have a great time connecting with his family, getting deep rest and connecting with the Lord so he can be refreshed to continue serving us as well as he always does. So just want to encourage you, be praying for Jeff this week, be praying for the Ridgeway family um, as they just have great rest this week. So these next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the Psalms, and I, I love the Psalms. I've mentioned this before because I know I've taught about the Psalms here, but they really display human emotion, and particularly, I think the Psalms show us how we can meet Jesus in our human emotions, how we can pursue God even as we experience human emotion. But honestly, if you like reality TV, you're also going to love the Psalms because they're dramatic, uh, and David, who writes most of them, is very dramatic. And frankly, he has some excuse to be dramatic. Uh, if you don't know much about his life, he's experienced really high highs and really low lows. At an early age, a prophet of God seeks him out to tell him that he's going to be the king one day. But then he spends the next several years of his life as a shepherd. He slays Goliath, then becomes a musician and servant of the, the current king, who then decides to hate David and pursues him and tries to kill him multiple times. And he continues to serve this king even while fleeing him so he doesn't get murdered. When he eventually does become king, he has to face his own moral failure, taking another man's wife, and is eventually pursued by his own sons who want the kingdom for themselves. Really, this could be the plot house of the real housewives of Jerusalem, and like I would believe it. That would make sense to me. It's that dramatic, Right? But one thing that's really evident through the Psalms is that David knows his God. He goes through these high highs and these low lows and these moments of pain and failure, and he knows the God that he follows as he does. He speaks about his God with confidence throughout the Psalms. He speaks about his own human experience with a measure of confidence in who God is. So we're going to read Psalm 5 together, and we're going to pray that the Lord will guide us. So if you want to open up your Bibles to Psalm 5... Um, but then I'll be reading us out aloud for us, and then we'll, we'll pray after I read. Psalm 5, verses uh, 1 through 12, which is the whole psalm. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O oh God. Let them fall by their own counsels because of the abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. For you Bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor 
as with a shield. Let's pray together. Lord, as we dig deeper into your word this morning, I pray that your spirit would speak to us. Lord, most of all, I pray that it would not be my words, but your words, that it would be your spirit at work in our hearts, that you would encourage us and convict us as needed. In Jesus' name, amen. I told you that David was dramatic and he really delivers in this passage. Look at the, look at the words he says. Consider my groaning. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. You almost think he's sitting there with, with a thesaurus, just looking up like, how do I say sad? No, not sad. That's not what I'm looking for. Ah, yes, groaning, right? Like just the most exaggerated version of everything. But David is clearly in a lot of turmoil as he writes Psalm 5. He's sad and angry and heartbroken. And certainly life has given him lots of reasons to be sad and angry and heartbroken, just like we sometimes have. And I think this psalm answers the question, what do I hold on to when life is really hard? What do I hold on to when I look around and life just seems like everything's going the wrong direction? Nothing goes my way. What do I hold on to? And what we see in the psalm is that David knows the same God that you and I know. And what he can hold on to in this God is what we can hold on to. We can hold on to the fact that God hears that God judges, and that God guides. Let's look at verses one through three. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice, in the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. There's something really interesting happening here. David is asking God to hear him, but then he's also assuming he will. He's saying, God, listen to me. And then he says, well, in the morning you hear me. When I pray, I know that you listen. David's asking God to do the exact thing that he knows God desires to do. To hear him. Because David knows that God hears us. That God pays attention. That God isn't taking a nap. That God isn't too busy. That God isn't filled with his own concerns and doesn't care about our petty problems, that God hears us. I'm going to ask you a question. I do this a lot in youth group. We'll do it here too. But for this one, I don't want you to answer out loud. I know sometimes I do. Do not answer out loud for this one. Just think to yourself, on a scale of one to five, with one being absolutely not at all, and five being, yeah, totally, how much do you feel like God hears you? I'm not asking how much you theologically believe. I'm I'm just asking how much in your daily life does it feel like God hears you? This question matters because when life is hard, the very first thing we need to believe to live a life of faith is that we're not alone. I mean, this is the key to the human identity because God made us to live in this world with him, made us to walk with him in the garden. God made us, designed us, built us for companionship with him to live in community and friendship with him, to serve him joyfully. We are made to be heard by God and to live with God. The core to this life, before we are known by any other human, is that we are known and heard by God. We see this in the Psalms, we see this in Jeremiah and Isaiah. They talk about being made in the womb and God knowing them in the womb. That God knows us. This is the very first thing we have to understand is that we are heard by him. 
We're not just left alone. Which is wonderful, because then we're not going through life alone. We don't have to be afraid, or, or we don't have to feel like we have to figure out every single thing. I don't know how many of you are like me, and, and when life starts to get stressful, you almost freeze up because you're analyzing all the things you need to do to control every piece of the situation. Well, we, we actually don't need to do that, because we're not alone. We're not bearing the weight of this life alone. There's a monk named Brother Lawrence whose thoughts are collected in a book called Practicing the Presence of God. I know some of us have read it. His main idea is just this, that that God hears us, but more than that, that God is present with us, that God is actually with us every day as we live our life, that you've never been in a room where God is not. And so, Brother Lawrence says, everything becomes worship and communion with God when you're aware of the fact that God is there. And in one part in particular, he says that for him, washing dishes is as worshipful as attending a worship service. And in fact, sometimes more because he's not distracted from God when he's washing dishes. Sometimes in the worship service, you're distracted by the temperature of the room or by something that someone else did. You know, but he's going to know when you know it's just you and God washing dishes, then it's communion. So imagine living life like that at a five on that scale I gave you. At every moment, just assuming and knowing that my God hears me. I wonder if we would live differently. I wonder if we'd have less anxiety or less stress or less anger. As a kid, I was part of the Boy Scouts, which is very surprising to most people, I'm guessing. And I don't know whose idea it was. Um, To be honest, I'm not sure I knew what I was signing up for. And I don't think my parents knew either. My parents had a tendency of just signing whatever, like, permission slip I gave them. And I had a a habit of just handing them whatever piece of paper someone handed me at school. And so this winds me up in the Boy Scouts. And the only thing I really remember is that they took us to an overnight at the Liberty Science Center. If you've been involved with Boy Scouts in North Jersey, you've probably heard of this or seen this. Uh, They take a bunch of kids out to the Liberty Science Center and you just spend the night. Now, Liberty Science Center is this really cool, like, interactive museum. It's a lot of fun for kids. It's a lot of fun for adults. A lot of science stuff, different exhibits. But one of the most popular experiences there is the touch tunnel. And if you don't know what the touch tunnel is, you basically go to like um, a McDonald's from 1995, take out their like little playground thing and make it pitch black. And that's the touch tunnel. You're, you're in this like little playground slide and it's pitch black and they just kind of like usher you through. And at some point you just come out of the other end and there's a light. Which is fine, but as you can imagine, it's a bunch of little kids going through it, and kids get really nervous in the dark, right? And they can't see anything. So you're crawling, and you're just using your hands and feet, and you're just feeling along, hoping you're going to find your way. And as I remember as a kid, starting to get kind of nervous, but, but the other kids are there, right? So you can't show that you're nervous. But something happens up ahead, and I don't know what. And all of a sudden, we've got like a small child traffic jam in this pitch black tunnel, and I'm about to panic, <laughs> And then there is a voice as if from God. And it's clearly some like underpaid college student on a a very tinny microphone, just like giving us instructions. It comes from the walls. They have apparently mic'd and speakered the system. But to me, that was rescue, right? Like, oh, there's someone who knows what to do. There's this voice appearing from the darkness, telling everyone to calm down and just keep moving forward. But that voice was a game changer. Suddenly I knew someone could hear me. Someone was there if I needed help. Someone could guide me through and get me out of the scary dark tunnel. And this is what David understands as he starts off this psalm, is that life is really scary and life is really dark and he doesn't see the end yet. 
but there's someone who can hear him. And there's someone who can guide him and who cares for him and wants to guide him out of that dark, scary tunnel. And I wonder how different life would be if we would remember and really internalize and believe that someone who knows more than you do is listening. And I don't mean Google. I mean a God who hears you and loves you and cares for you, who wants your good, who wants to guide you through the struggles and the pain. The very first part is we have to understand that God hears us. When everything else feels dark or scary or confused, God hears us. Then David continues asserting that not only does God hear, but God judges. And this is the less comforting part at first glance. Look at verses four to six. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. This God who hears us and sees us is a God of justice. I think this scares people, that God judges. But we have to sit here for a second and recognize that we need a God of justice. Because we need our lives to be made right and we need the world around us to be made right. We don't want a new creation that's not made right. We need a God who's going to judge and reset it and make it good. Remember, David's life was filled with evil and injustice. His own injustice, but the injustice also caused by the world around him, by kings that persecuted him, by his own sons turning against him. David served under a cruel, unjust king who he was loyal to, and yet spent much of his life running away from this man he had served loyally only to receive death threats. He knows what it's like to bow the knee to someone who wants to harm you. Someone who will use their authority for personal gain. I think many of us, we've had experiences with people in authority who don't want what's good for us, whether it's a a corrupt boss or another relationship like that. And this might actually be one of the harder parts of life. It's one thing when life is hard because of accidents and disasters, right? A storm, something... We can't expect a a pandemic, whatever it might be. But it's another when life is hard because of deliberate cruelty. Because people are unkind or corrupt or abusive. That's a very different experience. David has needed a new king, a king of justice, to set things straight. And he knows that he can't be that because he becomes king. And one of the first things he does is screw up royally. He's very aware of his own sin and his own failure. So he has to rest in the justice of the God he serves. He knows he's not good enough to set things right. And again, this might be scary for us, this God who judges. But let's be clear, David had no illusions that he's a perfect guy. But he says something interesting in verse 7. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. David knows exactly how sinful he is. And he's saying, God, you hate the wicked, but I'm going to walk right into your house because you love me so much. And this isn't because David has any illusion that he's a wonderful, perfect dude. He's saying, God, I know you're just, but also you're loving. You let me walk in and you know me. This reminds me of Hebrews 4. It says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Paul is telling us 
in the New Testament to walk boldly into the very throne room that David knows he can walk into. Paul sings, because of Jesus, you can boldly walk in and know God. David was trusting that God's forgiveness was coming and was extended to him. Because of what Jesus has done, God's justice has been satisfied and we can walk into the throne room. It's through Jesus, the very descendant of David, that you and I can know this God who hears us and judges us. But through Christ, he actually judges us clean. Says the record is straight. And when he judges again, he'll make the world right. And this is good news. I know it feels scary. We'd rather just pretend everything's fine. But everything is not fine. The world around us is not fine. We need someone to turn the lights on. David had to rest in the God who was way more right and good than he was, and so do I. You know, I have to be honest, my heart often breaks at the injustice I see around me. And I know I can only do so much. I know I can do everything right for the rest of my life, which, you know, a feat that would be miraculous, truly. But people would still suffer from injustice. I can't set everything around me straight. And you've, you've probably felt powerless before, right? Knowing that whatever good you can do, it's not going to fix everything. But that doesn't release us from responsibility. We're servants and stewards waiting for the God who's going to come set things right. You know, sometimes I babysit my two nieces, and I love my nieces, but I think I've mentioned before, uh, under 10 is, is a real struggle for me. I love teenagers, love middle schoolers, high schoolers, but under 10, I'm like, we're going to have a great interaction for two hours, a two hour and one minute. I'm, all of a sudden, I've really got to go. Sorry. But uh, I sometimes babysit my, niece, my nieces so that their parents can have some time to rest, and they have awesome parents, right? My brother and my sister-in-law, they teach them well. They're very clear with boundaries. They're firm but kind and loving. They have endless energy, which my nieces require because they have endless energy. But how do you think it would go if my brother and sister-in-law leave for dinner and I spend the next four hours with the mindset, well, Tom and Michelle are going to just take care of everything when they get home. So I don't really have to do much. That's a five and two-year-old. That's not going to fly, right? If the girls are taking out every single Pete the Cat book and throwing it on the ground after reading half a page, I can't just say, well, Tom and Michelle will take care of it when they get home. Or if they're fighting over a toy, I can't just say, well, Tom and Michelle will take care of that when they get home. If they're doing something in the kitchen, but I don't know what, but I just hear, uh-oh, I can't just say Tom and Michelle will take care of it when they get home. I mean, sure, they're going to be great judges when they get home. They're going to set everything straight when they get home. But by that point, we might have a fire and the books might be ruined and there's going to be a lot of damage already done. They've left me here to care for their girls in their, their place. And I can do that temporarily knowing they're going to come and actually do what needs to be done. Our God who judges, he's left us here to care for this broken world. As stewards, as caretakers, as his representatives. And we're here to steward this place, to bring justice where, where we can, to bring comfort where we can't bring justice. But to hold on to when he comes home and makes it right. And we can rest and breathe and say, oh good, the kitchen's not on fire. <laughs> Our God is going to judge and make it right. And that is good news. So God here. God hears, God judges, and finally, God guides. He says, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. 
He says, God, I'm surrounded. I've got enemies. I mean, like, and for David, this is not a, a metaphor. David's got enemies. David's got people after him in ways you and I have probably never experienced. Running from his, for his life multiple times throughout his life. But he says, God, lead me in your righteousness, in your goodness, in your judgment, because my enemies are surrounding me. Make your way straight before me. Show me the way. David is leaning on the God who knows him, who hears and sees him, and also who judges, who knows what is right and true and good. And he's saying, okay, Lord, you know, I don't always know the way to go, but you know me and you know what's good. So show me the way. Please make a way for me. I'm trusting you. This is the best hope for us in this world. This is exactly why, by the way, that knowing Jesus is not just fire insurance. I mentioned this a little bit last time I spoke. That we often treat Jesus like he's just here to rescue us from suffering when the end comes, when the end of our life comes. But Jesus is not just fire insurance. When we let go of living with God, we let go of the one who guides us through life's challenges. I can't tell you how many people, especially when I was growing up, I I started knowing Jesus when I was 16. I heard so many people tell me when I would talk to them about Jesus, I'll figure that out when I'm older. I'll I'll just, you know, life is a lot of fun right now and I'll figure that out later. And I'm just going, man, that just means you're going to experience a lot of hurt in the meantime. Like God doesn't, like, it's not like God's in there like, please, 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 like, He's trying to rescue you from what you might do in the meantime, from the pain you might experience, from the wrong way you might go. He's trying to protect you. He's trying to guide you. When we let go of living with God, we let go of the one who guides us through life's challenges. You know, when we pray on earth as it is in heaven, we're saying, Lord Jesus, let us experience some of the resurrection now and guide us into that life each day. The Lord who knows us and hears us and sees us, the Lord who is just and knows what is right and good, wants to guide us through this dark tunnel we sometimes find ourselves in. This is why the Holy Spirit's been gifted to us, to those of us who follow Jesus, because God himself has provided our guidance, our comfort, our teacher to walk through this fallen world and the light and the beauty of the resurrection. I like hiking quite a bit. You may have heard the story a bit. I've, I repeat a lot. The students will never let me forget that. Uh, but I used to go hiking a, a bit more than I do now, and I still enjoy it. But about five years ago, I got the most lost I've ever been. Um, and I, I mean, to the point that what was supposed to be a two-hour hike became like a five- or six-hour hike. Uh, and truly embarrassing, we were like within 100 feet of the trail at all times, Right. But my brother and I were doing a road trip down to the Great Smoky Mountains, and we stopped in Natural Bridge, Virginia. It's the first day of the trip. We're feeling excited. We're feeling adventurous. So we did this hike called the Devil's Marble Yard. And it's a, it's a really cool hike. It's really unique because up this hill is just giant boulders for maybe half a mile. And so you're just kind of having to scramble the whole way up the mountain, which is pretty fun. We were really into rock climbing at the time, so it was a great time. And we get to the top, we see the view, and then all of a sudden we realize the only trail we can find leads the other way down the mountain. We can't find the trail to go back the way we came. And we're actually pretty tired, and so going down the marbles is maybe not the best idea. So we're starting to get really nervous. And the day just develops, and the storm starts coming in. We, we had gotten there at like noon, and so thinking we're fine, there's time before the rain comes. Now all of a sudden it's late, we're late. We haven't had lunch because we're planning on just eating when we get back. We're starving. 
my brother's getting really nervous because he's a little bit of a control freak. And so, like, all of a sudden, there's just, and it, so that we're, like, the tension is just rising. It's the first day of the trip. I'm like, we're going to die in this mountain. You know, we're just, we're just going to die. And that's what's going to happen, right? Long story short, we, we get back after about five or six hours, starving, ate a banana in the car, and it was uh, the best thing I've ever had in my life, uh, and vowed to never go on a hike again without a compass. And truly, lesson learned, our next few road trips always have a compass, always have a local map, and what a difference it has made in our ability to go off and explore and have a good time and also be like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be home at six for dinner. But here's the thing, a lot of us are refusing to use our compass every day. We, we head off into the woods and just leave it in the car because I'm good. I don't need it today. I'm not expecting any trouble. Right? That day I wasn't expecting trouble. If I knew it was going to be complicated, I would have brought the compass that was sitting in the car the whole time. You know, we could consult God at any moment. We could carve time to talk to him and say, Lord, life is really confusing. I'm really overwhelmed. To let him lead us instead of just running off in any direction that our anxiety wants us to. But we insist on charging forward. We insist on just making our own decisions until things get really bad. Then we talk to God. So David knew that he needed his compass. There was no other way. Surrounded by enemies, aware of his own brokenness and failure, he needed his God to guide him. But so do we. And not just when life gets really bad, but so that life never gets there. To constantly guide us onto the path that will lead us to life. We need our God who hears us, who knows us, who knows what is right and good to keep guiding us. The Holy Spirit's strength to get through the day well. We need this compass that we have readily available. Let's pray together. Before we pray, I'm just going to ask you three questions to, to reflect on for a minute before we pray. Again, don't say anything out loud. Just, just pray about this. And then I'll pray for us to close. Do you feel heard by God? Or do you need to let him hear you? This God who judges, is there any way that you need his forgiveness? And this God who guides, is there any way you need guidance? Father, it is a gift that you desire goodness for us. Your mercies are so good that you look at us and instead of just judging us, you see the goodness of Jesus who gave himself for us that you offer to hear us and know us, that you offer to forgive us, that you offer to guide us. Forgive us, Lord, for ignoring so much of that. Make us sensitive to your guidance, to your leaning, to your prompting. We ask that you'd help us to follow the Holy Spirit's convictions in our daily life. God, would you be much more than just our emergency call? Be our daily friend, our daily counselor, our daily teacher. I ask especially for people who are struggling to believe that you hear them, Lord. Pray that you'd make it clear that you do, that you see them and you love them. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that we practice here at Hope Church, that's a way to...
pick up that compass, is we practice confession each Sunday. And the reason we do that isn't to make ourselves just feel all guilty and gross, so like, oh, I'm really bad. Uh, but there's two things I think is really important as we enter conf- confession. The first, and I heard someone say this at a conference once, is that when we confess our sin in community, the big thing you're reminded of is that the God who forgives you also forgives your neighbor. So you're not the only one coming to God in need. We are coming to God in need together. You're confessing at the same time I am. We confess together because we both need God's goodness. But the second is I think to confess our sin is to align ourselves more with who God is calling us to be. Instead of living in insistence, I'm fine, I'm fine, is to go, "Mm, I'm a little off track and you can bring me back. So we're going to practice this this morning by reading the confession of sin. Let's print it out for you. Let's pray this together. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you for your daily mercies and steadfast love. We worship you for the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of Christ's righteousness. Hear our confession and grant us your grace. Forgive us for living too busy, too noisy, and too cluttered lives. Forgive us for being quicker to react in anger than repent in humility. Forgive us for maximizing our disappointments and minimizing your goodness. Forgive us for living more by fear than by faith. Have mercy on us for Christ's sake and your glory. Amen. Lord, we'll take a time silently now to confess our sins. Would you hear us? Psalm 103 assures us of our forgiveness. Here's what we know to be true. That the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far... Does he remove our transgressions from us? Amen.